turn to Psalm 27 and have that psalm open as we make our way through it this evening. Our theme tonight is Beholding the Beauty of God. Beholding the Beauty of God. (coughs) Human beings often disagree on whether something is beautiful. There are some things that we can probably agree are very beautiful. Uh, Maybe something like a, a sunset or a mountain range. Those kinds of natural uh, sights and creation, we can probably all agree, unless someone's just trying to be awkward, we can agree that they are beautiful. But there are lots of other things that it really comes down to your personal taste and preference, whether they are beautiful or not. Uh, Some of us believe that a goal scored in a football match can be beautiful, or a try scored in a rugby match can be beautiful. And some of you think that is just ridiculous. How can you call something like, like that beautiful? Some people think that the sound of a particular car engine starting up is beautiful. Others think it's just noise. Some of us might find one particular type of music beautiful. We could listen to it all day. Someone else in the house is telling us, would you turn down that racket? We don't always agree on what we find beautiful or where we can find real beauty. But Psalm 27 is a song about gazing at beauty. And if you really understand this beauty, you realise that it's not something that we can agree to disagree on. When you properly see and appreciate what the psalmist is talking about here, you realise that he was captivated by real beauty. Verse 4 is a a sort of an anchor. It's the key verse of the psalm. Uh, Look what he says in verse 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. The songwriter King David declares that his greatest desire is to gaze upon, to enjoy, to take in the beauty of Yahweh, the God of Israel. The word here for beauty also means delightfulness or pleasantness. Uh, Tim Keller, in his little book of meditations in the psalm, he says it means uh, not just being aware of something or someone, but taking pleasure in your awareness of them. So, for example, Keller says, you could be walking down the main street of a town and a stranger is walking towards you and, and they're right in your path. And so you're aware of them. You're aware that you need to make sure that You move so that you don't bump into each other. But your awareness of them doesn't, in that case, stir any feeling or passion in you. But when you see a beautiful sunset, you're not just aware of it. You you take pleasure in it. You you maybe sit down and you look at it. You you just enjoy it. You, You drink it in. Nothing is more beautiful to David than his God. Nothing helps him through difficult, trying times more than the thought of being in a place where he can simply gaze upon the beauty of God. And I'll I'll explain more as we go through uh, just exactly what it is about God that David finds beautiful or what captivates him. But notice firstly today from this psalm, when the believer seeks God's beauty. When is it? What are the circumstances that will prompt us or should prompt us to seek the beauty of God? Well, notice the particular circumstances 
of his life that David describes here in verses 2 to 3. He says in verse 2, When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes. That language is very vivid and stark there, isn't it? People coming to eat up my flesh. David, as he often does in the Psalms, he's perhaps picturing his enemies as wild animals here. He's saying that his life is at risk. It's a dangerous moment. People are out to destroy him. Look at verse 3. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. David, of course, was a wartime king. David was always heading off to the battlefield and he was undefeated on the battlefield. He never lost a battle or certainly never lost a war. But that's not to say that David didn't have to deal with doubt and dread before the battles. Do you think he never felt anxiety? That he never wondered if he was going to survive? Of course he did. Armies encamped against him. Some of his own people on occasion conspiring against him. His own son Absalom on one occasion. King Saul for many years. The Philistines. Whatever other nation it might have been. They all at different times wanted to violently destroy David. Look down at verse 12. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries. For false witnesses have risen against me. And they breathe out violence. David's, he's on the brink here. People are conspiring. They're, they're stirring up enmity against him. How did David cope with it all? Because, friends, he enjoyed, he, he basked in, he gazed upon the beauty of the Lord. Think of verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? So as mentioning earlier, light is so often a picture in the Bible of God's glory and of, of his, his holy presence. You remember how it was that he did eventually lead the people of Israel out of Egypt and through the Red Sea and through the wilderness. It was by that pillar of fire by night, that brilliant supernatural light of God's presence. And light, of course, is, is, a, is a reassuring symbol. You think of whether it's little children who prefer a nightlight to a, a room in total darkness. Whether it's the relief you feel when you're driving on tight country roads maybe in, in the winter time. And there's no light anywhere except your headlights. And eventually then you come into a town that's well lit. Uh, whether it's at this time of year the sunshine of a summer's day. We long for light and, and the reassurance and the joy that it brings. And David begins this psalm with this bold statement. The Lord is my light. He is my source of hope. My salvation. My delight. And so friends. Surrounded by enemies. With pressures mounting. David lives with a constant awareness. Of the goodness and grace of God. Protecting him. Shielding him. Invigorating him. And it's beautiful to him. And he's driven to gaze upon God's beauty more and more, especially when his enemies are plotting and attacking him. And it's not hard to think of Jesus Christ going through the same sorts of experiences that David describes here. 
David here talking about people conspiring against him, breathing out lies against him. Is not exactly what Jesus faced just hours before his death as he went through that, that absolute farce of a trial uh, in the Jewish Sanhedrin. And the Jewish leaders, they couldn't get two liars to tell the same lie about Jesus for a long time. They couldn't get two witnesses whose testimony agreed. They were breathing out lies and they were pushing and pushing at Pilate and Herod to have Jesus put to death. What got our saviour through those moments was the same thing that got David through his. And what can get you through yours. Meditating upon the beauty of God. A firmly rooted belief that God is my light and my salvation. David says in verse 1. The Lord is my stronghold. Of whom shall I be afraid? That was Jesus' attitude as he went to the cross. The writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews 12 verses 1 to 3 that Jesus was able to endure the cross because of the joy that lay beyond the cross. For the joy set before him, the writer to the Hebrews says, he endured the cross. What was that joy? What was, what was, what was it that Jesus was looking to beyond the cross? It was what David describes here. The glory, the beauty of God's temple. Being back in the presence of his father in glory. What are you facing today that would make you anxious, afraid, doubting? Whatever it is, it's here in Psalm 27. Violence, fear, lies being told about you, a sense of just being besieged by problems. What do you turn to? Who do you turn to to get you through it? What, what beautiful sight do you hope will motivate you? What beautiful person do you hope will love you? What beautiful experience do you hope will satisfy you? And do they? Or, as the songwriter said, have you still not found what you're looking for? Psalmist David and our Lord Jesus, when they faced their fears and their foes, they declared, the Lord is my light and my salvation. His beauty, the sheer pleasure of his presence was enough to see them through. But where do we find God's beauty? What, what is uh, God's beauty? What is it that makes him beautiful in, in, in the eyes of David? Well, having thought about when the believer seeks God's beauty, we think secondly then about where the believer finds God's beauty. Where the believer finds God's beauty. And David tells his friends that he sees God's beauty in the place of sacrifice. The place of sacrifice. If you look at verses 4 to 6. And notice how many times in verses 4 to 6 David talks about the place of sacrifice. He calls it the house of God in the third line of verse 4. He calls it the temple in the last line of verse 4. In verse 6 he says he will offer sacrifices to God in his tent. So the house of God, the tent of God, the temple. These are all words, friends, that describe the place where in the Old Testament sacrifice was made for the sins of God's people. When Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, God commanded him to construct the tabernacle or the tent 
so that they could pack it up and take it with them as they moved around for those 40 years. It was still being used by the time of David. And then, of course, David, it was, he, had a, he had this desire that surely the, the place of worship, the place of sacrifice should be a permanent place. It should be a beautiful place. And yet God didn't permit David to build the temple. It was his son Solomon then who went ahead and built this beautiful temple and it stood in one form or another for a long, long time. It was destroyed and then rebuilt, of course. But the tent and the temple in the days of Moses and in the days of David, they were beautiful. Ornate furnishings, gold interior design. But the true beauty of the temple, friends, was that this was the place where God came down and accepted sacrifice for his people's sin. That's what the the tabernacle or the temple was really all about. It was a place that declared to God's people and to the world, God graciously forgives sinners. That's why he says in verse 5, that God will hide him and cover him. David wanted to see the place where God covers us with his grace, where, God, where David had assurance that God forgives his sins. That's why at the end of verse 6, David is full of joy. Look what he says. Now my head will be lifted up against my enemies. That means he will be victorious over his enemies. I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. David isn't afraid to face his enemies once he has gazed upon the place of sacrifice. Once his eyes have seen, once he has filled his mind and his heart with the beauty of what God has done for his people, he's reassured about God's presence with him, whatever it is that he has to go out and face. Worshipping God, friends, beholding the beauty of God, it equips us to then go out and serve God. It equips us to face our fears and our enemies. We, of course, don't have a tabernacle or a temple. So where do we go to see this beautiful sight that David describes here? Well, again, we go in faith to Christ. Because Jesus is the dwelling place of God. And he is the sacrifice, the atoning, covering sacrifice for our sins. John chapter 1 says that Christ, the word, became flesh and dwelt among us. The word could be tabernacled among us. You remember Jesus said to his enemies, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. And they didn't have a clue what he was talking about. And he even tried to use that against him and said, oh, this man's threatening to ruin our temple. He was talking about himself. He was talking about his body. He was talking about the fact that he would offer himself up in our place for our sins. That's the beauty of God, friends, that we can gaze upon. And the awesome thing about Jesus is that he emptied himself of his own beauty to cover over our ugliness. Have you ever thought about yourself and your saviour that way? Jesus emptied himself of his beauty, his righteousness, to cover the ugliness of our sin. On the cross, Jesus, the most glorious, lovely, righteous one, became a figure of ugliness and of shame 
of rejection. Isaiah 53 verse 2 says, He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus sacrificed himself entirely to cover the ugliness of our sin. True beauty, friends, is found in the place of sacrifice. And God invites you to come and behold his beauty there. Look at verse 8. You have said, so God has said to David, seek my face. God has said, come to me. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. And the language of seeing God face to face in the Old Testament, that's a picture of friendship and fellowship. You remember Jacob wrestling with God all night and he called the place where he had wrestled with God uh, Penuel, which means the face of God. We're welcome to come into God's presence, to come before the face of God if we come to the place of sacrifice, if we truly appreciate and trust in Christ our Saviour and the sacrifice that he has offered. Here is true beauty. Someone once said that human beings need beauty to ease the churn within ourselves. That is to say the world is chaotic, it's messy, it's hard, it's, it's just like a churn sometimes. Depending on your life circumstances, you can literally feel a churn in your stomach. And so we naturally and we instinctively, we, we look for something beautiful to get us through it, to, to ease the churn. And you can find beauty in artwork. You can find beauty in someone's character or appearance. You can find beauty in music. But friends, nothing will quite ease the churn completely except the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why, by the way, we often say you don't just go and worship God on a mountain. You don't just go for a walk on a beach some Sunday morning and say, that's my church. You have to come and hear again and think again about the cross of Christ on which the Prince of Glory died. We can look at all the sunsets we want. We can watch all the rugby or football or theatrical performances that we want. We can listen to all the great music we want, but it won't be enough to see to that churn in our souls. And it won't cover the ugliness of your sin, your guilt before God. Only the beauty of Jesus Christ does that. So when the believer seeks God's beauty, where the believer Finds God's beauty. And thirdly and finally this evening. What the singer or what the psalmist gains. From beholding God's beauty. What we gain from beholding God's beauty. And just briefly from this psalm. Three things that David gains. From beholding the beauty of God. First of all he gains confidence. Confidence. Again the beginning of the psalm. The Lord is my light. Verse 1. And my salvation Whom shall I fear? He's not afraid of anyone when he thinks about his God. Such confidence in David despite all that he still has to face. Like a lot of Psalms, Psalm 27 doesn't have everything resolved by the end. There's still difficulties to deal with. And yet David is confident that God will not forsake him. Look at verse 10. 
For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Now David is probably, well, we don't know, but he's probably not saying that his own parents have deserted him. There's actually a a time in David's life, you can read about it in 1 Samuel, where his parents, amongst others, uh, he puts them, he he takes care of them. They've been with him on the run and David sends them off to a safe place because Saul is, is still out to get him. But what what he's saying here is that even if his parents did forsake him, which is just unthinkable in that culture that your own kith and kin would turn their backs upon you. But David is saying here, even if the worst happened, even if my closest family, the ones I should be able to depend on the most, rejected me, God will never reject me. He's confident. Look at verse 13. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. What's the land of the living? It's home. It's where you get to go if you win the battle. If you're still standing after your enemies have done their worst. David says he believes he's going to make it. I'm confident that I will still be enjoying life when the battle is over. Where does all this confidence comes from? Come from? It comes from gazing upon the beauty of the Lord. That's all David wants. Verse 4. One thing I have asked of the Lord. One thing. That will I seek after. Being in the presence of God. Enjoying the grace of God. Beholding the beauty of God. It's all that he needs. It gives him confidence and reassurance. And this is why as Christians we shouldn't be endlessly scrolling social media or listening to or watching all the news all the time. The news is dreadful and it's increasingly dreadful it seems to me. Have you noticed that? The world is just an absolute mess. Some of the stories from Northern Ireland alone that made the headlines this past week. Husbands murdering wives, children abused, dissidents continuing to threaten. Never mind the news from all around the world. It is so troubling and worrying. It's a mess. David says, don't expect to feel confident if you just look at the world all the time and all the problems that it holds for us. Take confidence from gazing at the beauty of God. Switch the screen off and open the book. Stop sending messages and start sending praise and prayers to the throne of heaven. As you meditate on the beautiful saviour God has sent. And see if that doesn't fill you with greater confidence. For whatever it is that you might be facing. In the days ahead. So he gains confidence. He also gains humility. From seeking God's beauty. He gains humility. It's, com- it's possible to be, to be both confident and humble. Some people might think no it's not. If you're, if you're confident you're not humble. But the key is to be confident, not in yourself, but in God. David knows he's a sinner. He knows that he can only gaze on God's beauty because of God's grace. Look at verse 9. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. You see the humility there? He knows that this is what he deserves. How humbling, friends, to think of those words of verse 9 again in relation to Christ. Samuel says, forsake me not. Christ on the cross 
was forsaken because of our sin. And again, because of the place of sacrifice, David is humbled because as he looks upon it, he realized that provision has had to be made. Blood has to be shed for him to be able to come into the presence of God at all. Look what he says in verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. There's David humbly submitting to God's word and God's law. Humbly saying, when I don't know the way to go, you show me the way to go. I'm not just going to do everything according to what I think best. I'll live according to the ways of God's word. So he's confident, but he's also humble as he looks on the beauty of God. Then the last thing that David gains by looking at the beauty of God is what I'll sum up as courageous patience. might sound a bit strange, but courageous patience. Look how he finishes the psalm. Verse 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. There are a few other times in the Bible where someone is told to be strong and courageous. Maybe Joshua particularly comes to mind. God commanded Joshua, Deuteronomy 31, 23, as he prepared to replace Moses as leader of the Israelites, he said to to Joshua, be strong and courageous. And Psalm 27 ends with that command for God's people. Again, the, the work is not yet done. The battle is not yet won. David still needs God's help to defeat God's enemies. And yet he finishes by saying to himself and to us, Just wait, be strong, be courageous. I believe that I shall make it back to the land of the living. And again, isn't this what Christ showed us as well in his experiences going to and on the cross? You remember what he said to Pilate when Pilate was questioning him. Pilate says to Jesus, do you not realize that I'm the one with authority to release you? And Jesus responded, John 19, 11, you would have no authority over me at all unless it was given you from above. In other words, Jesus was saying, my father is in total control. I have confidence in him. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Didn't Jesus show humility as he suffered for us? Father, not my will, but yours be done. Father, forgive them. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He was patiently enduring, obeying the Father, knowing that after death would come glory and resurrection. And so again, friends, in the midst of whatever we may face as this new week begins, gaze upon the beauty of Christ. And in doing so, gain confidence, gain Humility, gain the courage to to wait and to see how God provides. In 1851, an English missionary named Alan Gardner was on his way to South America to open a new mission station. And of course, in those days, uh, that meant leaving absolutely everything behind with no prospect of ever returning home. Family, possessions, security, whatever it was, all gone. So that he could go and give his life to be a missionary. But Alan Gardner never made it to the place that he was supposed to be going. 
his ship sank and he was washed ashore with some provisions on an island where eventually he died of starvation and thirst. The authorities managed to recover his body and even found his journal. The last thing he ever wrote as he was starving to death, the last thing he wrote in his journal was, I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. Why wasn't he angry? This man gave up everything to go and serve God. And this is what God does with him. Why was he not angry? The answer, as Tim Keller says, is that God wasn't just useful to Alan Gardner. To Alan Gardner, God was beautiful. I don't know where you tend to look for beauty or reassurance. But I do know this. There is no beauty that can captivate your heart or mine. That will fill you or me with confidence, humility and patience. Like the beauty of God seen in the person and work of Jesus Christ. In a world full of ugly chaos we need to come and worship the dearly beloved son. Forsaken so that we could be accepted. The fairest among ten thousands made ugly so that we could be made acceptable. The righteous one who covers us. And makes us righteous too. And so tonight friends. Or if in the days to come. You feel yourself to be besieged. By Satan or by sin or by death. Behold the beauty. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.